it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Exciting week. It's been a uh, death-defying ride uh, for the week for our economy. We know that. Uh, today, the President of the United States uh, will try to bring up more negative things about Republicans. But for the most part, we know the his best hope, I guess, is to make a big deal out of what's happening at 12 o'clock Eastern time. And that's the beginning of another round of January 6th investigations, which CNN and MSNBC are hoping will revive their ratings. I, I highly doubt it. Uh, Rich Lowry is standing by and Congressman Jim Banks, who should have been on the January 6th committee. And by the way, I believe they are hurt by that. Without any countervailing opinion, it makes you think you're being sold like an infomercial. If they have that strong a case, they should have welcomed the counter argument, but they don't, and um, and they and they haven't. I think it's failing, uh, big time, and I'll discuss that later. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. We're working in lockstep to meet Ukraine's requests for new capabilities. We're providing Ukraine's defenders with HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems, and that will significantly boost Ukraine's capabilities. Yeah, good luck. Uh, We need you not only talking, but delivering. Critical time for Ukraine as the EU heavyweights head to Kiev. We send another billion and Russia takes an important city. Why the West has to make sure Zelensky's forces don't lose, we'll discuss. Number two. Republicans have been making inroads specifically with Latino voters. And this is a warning sign to Democrats that in a Biden district, heavily Latino, Republicans were able to make gains here. A warning sign for Democrats about their relationship with Latino voters, given this economy. No kidding. That's CNN, by the way. Can't beat them, undermine them. The Dem pushed to boost so-called extreme Republican candidates in their primary to have any chance of winning in the general. As sinking poll numbers show, Joe and his party are all but set to go get, in fact, and go ahead and drown as the GOP, as you just heard, make stunning gains inside the Hispanic community. We'll explain. Number one. It's also very coincidental that all these oil company executives became so greedy just when Joe Biden took office. The reason we have $5 a gallon gas is because of Joe Biden's policies. Remember, on the campaign trail, they were going to declare war on oil and gas in America, and that's exactly what they've done. And that is Tom Cotton last night with Laura Ingram. Pain at the pump and inflation are already affecting every area of our economy. And the president has opted to blame everyone except himself and his policies. But we will not hesitate. Neither will Rich Lowry, editor of the National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Were you surprised about to get that letter yesterday, Rich, to those seven oil companies? Broadcast to the public, you're the problem. Refine more or I will take action. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, this is what they've they've been part of the um, game here from the beginning is so-called greedflation, blaming companies that, you know, obviously didn't get 
greedy just over the last year. I mean, companies are supposed to make profits. That's why they exist. But somehow, not since the 1970s, have they been raising prices this way. And that's obviously because there, there's a lot of other stuff going on. You know, the federal, the fed, a flood of federal spending, the loose Federal Reserve policy, the supply chain disruptions. And yes, the Ukraine war has something to do with it. But obviously, this phenomenon was, was going much earlier. So this is classic. You know, they try to explain it away, try to unconvincingly say they have policies to address it and try to blame others. Here is Jennifer Granholm, who really knows nothing about energy. She thinks we all should get a windmill in our house. Cut four. We are seeing these massive profit, this massive profit taking on the part of refiners. And so the president is calling both upon production of oil to increase in the United States and around the world. And he's calling upon refinery capacity to increase. And he's calling them to a meeting to say, what can we do to help make that happen? So, number one, he's basically incentivizing refineries, I did not know this, to convert to something that's green energy oriented. There's going to be no refineries built. He knows that. He tried to kill fossil fuel. We recorded this. And now he's telling us to pick up the pace when it comes to refineries? Yeah, it's you know a year and a half in. This is now their policy. They could have said this at the beginning. Yeah, that, that uh, cheap energy is a, a a wonderful thing for the country, and we need you know, all, all sources that we possibly can, and, and let's pump and, and drill and windmill where appropriate. But they didn't because the agenda was trying to destroy uh, fossil fuels to supposedly save the planet. And now you know that's that has come and bit them in such a a terrible way. Now they're coming around and say, oh, you got to refine more. But you, you can't tell an industry it's terrible and should go out of business and expect it to expand uh, at the same time. And that was the contradiction at the beginning. All right. Uh, I want you to hear, here's the problem. No one briefs John Kerry because he has no real job. He doesn't have to be anywhere. No one asks for meetings. Uh, he's a climate guy. Cut seven. Energy security worry is driving a lot of the thoughts now about, oh, we need more drilling of gas. We need more drilling of this. We need to go back to coal. No, we don't. We absolutely don't. And we have to prevent a false narrative from entering into this or, again, uh, pun intended, we are cooked. So what's he talking about? Did anyone not brief Mr. I fly around in my private jet while condemning the rest of the world about what they're asked to do? Do they know that last week, Rich Lowry, we had the secretary of transportation say if you don't start drilling on the leases that you have, they'll be taken away? Yeah. And, you know, he, he may he may think we we don't need coal and we're not going to have it here. But all around the world, people are, are going to coal because <laughs> if it doesn't come from Russia and you have it and it's cheap and abundant, you're going to use it because energy is the basis of all of modern life. You don't have energy. You don't have anything else. The cost of energy goes up. The cost, as we've seen, of everything else goes up. So it's, uh, it's, it's an agenda. Look, I mean, climate change might be a problem. Um, there are ways to address it, but it should be addressed in a cost-efficient way over time. You shouldn't try to hurt and destroy your existing industries to try to force people to use sources of energy that aren't as reliable, efficient, or cheap. Rich, you write in one of your columns about President Biden and that the Jimmy Kimmel interview, the only one he's done in four months, was emblematic of the problems he's having. He he kept losing himself in the interview. Kimmel kept trying to save him. Uh, For the most part, he has to win the American people back over. He thinks it's by doing uh, doing more things like that, interacting with people. But right now, the Fox poll has him at 39 percent approval. Where is he heading? Because right now, their their, their pattern is, I'm not great, but I'm better than the other guy. And when it comes to the primaries, I'm going to start promoting and financing the campaigns 
of so-called extreme Republican candidates. Yeah, so this is the problem. It, whenever you're president of the United States and you don't seem in charge of events, that's going to be a big problem. You know, this is what undid Jimmy Carter, who was a, a robust man in his, I think, 50s, he's, he believes. I believe it was even worse. It's going to even worse with Biden when he can't go out there and put in a commanding performance. That Kimmel interview, even the best moments, it was kind of wandering and weak. And just most people, even if they're told they shouldn't think this or even if the press doesn't report about it, are going to look at it and not feel reassured. And on top of it, they have this incompetent performance and events spinning out of control. So it's it's a terrible place. I mean, to be below 40 now and most of the polling averages, and I, I think there's potential to drift down lower because we're looking at an economy that might slip into a recession. So to have that on top of everything else would just be a, a utter debacle. I, I just think it's amazing to see the business channels and business experts say, oh, good news. Interest rates are going up big time. So the market went up. The average American walks around and says, is that good news? My credit cards go up. Um, I, I, that new house I'm going to buy has now become more expensive, maybe un, unaffordable all of a sudden. We're cheering for the raise in rates. We used to, uh, as late as six months ago, hope those rates didn't go up and the market reacted. This is anti-consumer business. Yeah, but the the problem is once you have the inflation, this is the way you stop it. The Fed Fed brings rates up, which is just inherently painful. I mean, the the equation is basically you slow the economy down and hope you don't go into recession. But the history is you very often go into recession. The the non-painful way to try to address inflation is to actually increase the supply side, increase the supply of goods. We were just talking about energy. It'd be good to have more oil and gas and coal. But this administration has an anti-supply side policy. So you, they, they stoke demand through spending, um, and, then, and then they reduce supply, and then you get inflation, and then the Fed was accommodating for too long. And then now you get the situation where you, you have no good choices. Right. I want you to hear what Jim Cramer said yesterday, hardly a critic of this administration. Cut three. What's worrisome to me is He's our president's reaction is to send a letter to the oil companies saying you're making too much money. And that is harks back to an era of Jimmy Carter. And the Jimmy Carter, you know, we have windfall tax. I mean, it's all the things that just say, don't own stocks, just don't own them. I mean, the president uniquely rebuffed the oil companies who wanted to produce more and instead is going to go to Saudi Arabia. So he not only that, he's discouraging people from investing in those stocks, those fossil fuels. So the money's not even there to finance some of this exploration that he says that he needs now or pretends to need now. Overall, the president has got CNN and others talking about his mental capacity. Pierce Morgan said this on Sean Hannity last night. Tell me if you feel the same way. Cut 24. I think people feel embarrassed for Joe Biden. You don't have to go back and watch videos of him even 20 years ago and compare how he performed then to how he performs in public now. And there's been a, a rapid deterioration in his mobility, in the way that he talks, in the way that he is consistent to stuff that he says. You know, one minute he's saying one thing, then the White House rains back, then he has to rain back the rain back, and so it goes on. And we see this kind of thing time and again. So, I mean, and then you have People like Van Jones pointing that out, Don Lemon pointing that out. But the best insurance Joe Biden has is Kamala Harris. In what respect do you think I'm right? <laughs> well, it, there's no doubt there. There's he's declining, and whether there's something more deeply wrong or whether it's just being 79 years old, 
I don't know. I kind of tend towards the latter. But old, old age is not a, a, a curable condition. You know, it's a steady progression. It doesn't get better. You're 79, and then you're 80, and you're 81. And but the problem that the Democrats have is the heir apparent is more unpopular than Joe Biden. And she's young. You know, she's healthy. She's she's vigorous. She hasn't really done anything. I wrote a column about this earlier in the week. She hasn't done anything good or bad, particularly. I mean, there hasn't been any scandal or any policy she's messed up. I mean, the border's not her fault. But just people don't like her because she's totally inauthentic. She just it does not have a, a soft touch. And they got to be terrified because if, if Biden can't run and you got to tilt that way, they're going to dump this this uh, mixed race woman who you know made history being the first um, African-American right. woman who's vice president of the United States. That's going to be really, really hard for a policy, policy party so obsessed with identity politics. So they're, they're in a really bad place. Yeah, I know one, one of your points is that she doesn't know the issues. We know a lot of people, especially who write, might write for the National Review, might write for the Daily Caller. And they're, they're great writers, and they know their stuff, but they don't love communicating. They don't love going on radio and TV. But they know their stuff. So you don't worry about the delivery. You don't worry about that because they have substance. She does not know anything. She's memorizing yeah. things, and she has no confidence. But the one thing I like to point out with guys like you who are so experienced when things change the one thing we're watching change before our eyes is Republicans are getting more and more of the Hispanic vote. We saw a rapid change with uh, Donald Trump. We saw that it would, they were in a better place with Bush 41 originally around, uh, around just at 43 percent. But now, as Maya Flores wins her race in a Democratic district in Texas, she said this to Sean Hannity last night, cut 23. People always ask me, Myra, how can you be a Republican whenever you were born in Mexico? And that's that clearly shows me that they know nothing about our culture. I was raised with strong conservative values. We're all about faith and family and hard work. That's who we are. So our values do really align with the Republican Party. Wow. Uh, you, yep. you hope for that. And that might be at the RNC. But that might become conventional wisdom, especially in Texas. Yep. So we've seen this trend around the country where it's been most pronounced is in the Rio Grande Valley, where her district is 85, 90 percent Hispanic. And it it just busted a bunch of stereotypes, right? I mean, her her husband is a Border Patrol agent. She campaigned often wearing a Border Patrol hat. She's, you know, she's not where I am on immigration. She favors, I believe, a pathway to citizenship, but really tough on the border. You know, communities down there, they, they know you want to come legally from Mexico. It takes you 10 years. They don't like just people jumping the line and walking across the border. And her slogan, and you got the sense of this from that uh, clip you played, was God, family, country. You know, <laughs> common sense, conservative, patriotic values. And that's where um, most Hispanics are. They don't like the, uh, the the social radicalism, cultural radicalism of the Democrats. And, you know, they, they care about the issues that most people in the country care about right now, which is the economy and inflation. So you get a disaster on that front. You get a, uh, a Democratic Party that's more and more radical on cultural issues. And you're seeing the shift. Again, it's most pronounced in South Texas, but you've, you've seen it in Florida. You've seen it some in Arizona. You've seen it in some cities like Philadelphia. So this is just a potentially game-changing trend. All right. He is Rich Lowry, National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Thanks, Rich. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. You got it. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Bottom of the hour, the man that should have been on the January 6th committee, Congressman Jim Banks from the House Armed Services Committee. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour. Giving you everything you need to know. 
You're with Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show i don't have to tell you about the ultra MAGA agenda attacking families and our freedoms 300 discriminatory bills introduced in states across this country in texas knocking on front doors to harass and investigate parents who are raising transgender children in florida going after mickey mouse for god's sake yeah, Mickey Mouse. Uh, there's President uh, desperate and bad at it, playing politics. It's uh, don't. It's not the don't say gay bill. It is a parental rights bill that says I don't want my kid being taught about sexuality uh, from K through third, and I think maybe preschool too. So go ahead, Mr. President. You could grab the other side of that issue. Push for that second grader to become a transsexual. Go get that surgery as quick as you can. Nobody's with you on this. Uh, a finite amount of people. Uh, and no, you can't point to any party and say they're anti-gay. Not at this point. Same-sex marriage, a big deal during Bush 43. First term. Second term, different deal. First term of Obama. That was a marriage between a man and a woman. Second term, uh, let's make same-sex marriage real again. And then it happens. Because I remember that because uh, President Biden, you were vice president. And you blew it because you were on Meet the Press or George Stephanopoulos' show. And you came out and said, yeah, we're going to look to push for same-sex marriage. And then you have to cry and apologize uh, because you have no control of yourself. Congressman Jim Banks in, in a matter of moments. But, I mean, that's to the president. So there's, there's a story today, uh, which I know is true. And the Democratic Party is making it clear they're going to identify the most extreme candidate on the right. And they're going to put millions of dollars into that candidate so that gets that candidate gets the nomination. Claire McCaskill came up with this strategy in tw- uh, 2012 when it looked as though the Republicans were about to take the Senate. So she went ahead and made sure that Todd Aiken and others, who might have been great people but were extreme candidates, got the nomination. And when they got the nomination, they would be able to have a good shot, Democrats, in the general, because people would be scared about this extreme view. The net latest example is a Donald Trump pick of Mastriano. This Mastriano was a fan of Donald Trump, a Donald Trump, a fan of his. He pushed forward, but he believes the election was rigged and he pushes uh, and he pushes for that and thinks that. Uh, Joe Biden is not the rightful president. That is not a mainstream opinion. And when you have a moderate purple state like Pennsylvania, you might have trouble winning the governor's mansion with that, whether you think it's true or not. When we come back, I'll talk to Congressman Jim Banks about that cynical push for Democrats to say, you don't like us, but the other guys are worse. That's, That's really the slogan that Joe Biden should be using. Don't move.
From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hitting families hard, and we get that. Uh, we really get that. That's uh, that's point number one. Uh, point number two, uh, it doesn't make people any feel be- feel any better, but it is important in diagnosing uh, the problem here. And the problem is that the price of gas at the pump is now up about a dollar seventy since Putin began amassing troops at the border. That is the impact of war. Uh, it's not uh, it's not fun. Nobody likes it, but we have to stand against that uh, aggression. Yeah, nice try. So Vladimir Putin has affected it. But by the way, do you really want to take your enemy and say that? doing such damage to your economy for political gain. Uh, Brian Deese, he is the White House economic advisor who never really had a job in the private sector. Uh, let's bring in Congressman Jim Banks. Uh, always great to hear from you, Congressman. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Brian. Uh, first off, the, I've never seen such an aggressive deception. The Putin price hike, these oil and gas uh, companies are just greedy. We're going to make them pay a windfall tax. When we know that the president has got every his policies have everything to do with why we are suffering worse than almost every Western nation with inflation. Well, that, that's exactly right. People at home uh, in my district, Northeast Indiana, they get it. People around the country get it. They know that Joe Biden and these Democrats' radical climate change, Green New Deal policies uh, are are what is driving up gas prices. And in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we're paying five dollars twenty five cents for a gallon of gas, and we know it's because of. Of Biden and what they're trying to do, and and and, and Brian, when things get this bad, I mean, they, the the tired, uh, worn out playbook for Democrats is to change the subject, blame blame Putin, blame blame others, blame uh, Trump, and then talk about January January sixth and hope that we can change the subject so nobody pays attention to uh, pay, pays attention to what what's uh, driving uh, the harm that's causing uh, American families, inflation, gas prices. Try to change the subject. We're, we're not going to let them do that. Here's, uh, here's what John Kerry said. So the administration is hauling in these gas companies, the big seven, wrote them letters. You better start drilling more. You better start refining more. And then John Kerry speaks and says this, cut seven. Energy security worry is driving a lot of the thoughts now about, oh, we need more drilling of gas. We need more drilling of this. We need to go back to coal. No, we don't. We absolutely don't. And we have to prevent a false narrative from entering into this or, again, uh, pun intended, we are cooked. So you have an administration that says the problem is oil and gas companies. you got a climate czar who says we better not drill anymore. Is anyone even briefing John Kerry on his job? Well, unfortunately, they've given, they've given John Kerry so much power in this administration. I think he's, he's like, really running the show. I mean, it's his radical uh, policies that he's talked about now for decades that the Biden administration is incorporating it because they put uh, guys like John Kerry in charge. So – it, 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 things are things are bad. They're they're going to get worse with these Democrats uh, in control. They wrote they raised uh, interest rates yesterday to try to control uh, inflation and uh, and affect all of this. And and the solution is simple: roll back the crazy radical policies that these that this administration has put into effect. Allow for drilling on federal lands. There are many uh, permits that are available around the country that the administration is blocking for drilling in the United States. Keystone Pipeline make. America energy independent again, like we were just a couple of years ago, and that's what will drive down gas prices. But this administration is refusing to allow that to happen. So, Congressman Banks, have you watched a lot of the hearings on January about January sixth? I've, I've watched enough of them. I mean, they are a complete and total dud. I mean, the primetime hearing on Tuesday, uh, they 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 thought it was going to be a much bigger deal than what it was, but they they didn't provide. Uh, the American people, any evidence at all that we hadn't heard before. They're, prosecu- they're trying to prosecute 
a former president for crimes that he didn't commit and attack their political enemies. And, and, and by and large, the public has seen through it. They're sick of it. They're sick of it because they're begging Congress to focus on gas prices and inflation, the drug epidemic, um, issues that are affecting them. And instead, uh, these Democrats are hell-bent on going after Donald Trump and Trump supporters and, and paying back their, their political enemies on the right. And uh, that, that, that's why they're tuning out. The ratings were, were really bad. And if you watched it, it was it was actually very boring. And uh, they, they, had, they have another hearing coming up today. They had a, another hearing earlier in the week that you didn't hear anything about uh, because there's there's nothing new there. Uh, it's just a, it's, it's a bunch of garbage that they're pushing out and uh, and uh, the public is sick of it. You know, it's interesting. I think that in my theory is you might not agree is that they would have been better off with you and Jim Jordan because it would have given people a sense that we're getting both sides. I'm going to make my opinion. It becomes clear that everybody thinks the exact same on the panel, and they're going to pick and choose the clips to show to back up their opinion. There's no sense of the banks, Jordan pushback, and then you sit back and makes this show more interesting, makes all the analysis and uh, news reports around the country more interesting. Do they realize that we know what infomercials are and we don't go to them for news? Well, you're, you're, you're right. It would have given this process a lot more credibility if yeah. you would have had the other side represented. And uh, we, we, the reason that Pelosi kicked me off the committee, by the way, she's never been held accountable for it. No, she's never been forced to explain why did you prevent Jim Banks from being the ranking member the first time in congressional history that on a select committee, the, the uh, members that were appointed by the, rank, by the ranking member, the Republican leader, um, weren't uh, – weren't allowed to serve in that capacity. She's never been forced to explain why, but I can tell you exactly why. And the, re- the reason why is because I was asking the questions that are actually relevant uh, related to the systemic breakdown of security at the Capitol uh, on Nancy Pelosi's watch, uh, the Speaker of the House. She has, she has uh, more control than anybody in the United States Capitol, according to the rules of the Congress and oversight and leadership of, of Capitol security. And on her watch, there was a, a complete and total breakdown of leadership at the top levels of the Capitol Police and the and the rank and file members of the Capitol Police that were let down because of it, and she didn't want to answer questions about documents that are in her office related to why the why the National Guard was called off for for quote bad optics, why there was intelligence a few weeks before January 6th something could happen uh, that that intelligence was never shared with by and large with others throughout the Capitol Police uh, the ranks and th- those are the the point being those are the serious questions that would prevent something like January 6th from ever happening again. And instead, they've turned this into a complete partisan sham and witch hunt, and uh, it has no credibility because of it. I I want you to hear what Rachel Maddow, of all people, said. Listen. Just the key point that, yes, there was a pro-Trump rally at which the president spoke, and you can, we can absolutely talk about all the things the president said there. But the idea that that rally is the thing that got out of hand and that somehow resulted in the breaching of the Capitol, that rally was very far from the Capitol. Yep. And the people who, as you say, did the initial breach that allowed everybody else to come in, they never even went to that rally. Uh, that's something you might say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked listening to it. I mean, I, Rarely uh, agree with Rachel Maddow, but what, what she said is exactly right. And uh, why, why not unpack that um, that thesis and take that a lot fur- further and ask questions about what happened at the Capitol that day and and uh, and, and have a have a real uh, serious um, uh, uh, investigation into the breakdown of security, what what happened leading up to it, how that how that could be prevent- prevented again. You know, I've 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 been in Washington now for six years and there. 
there is nothing more American than coming to our nation's capital and and protesting, making your voice heard, exercising your First Amendment rights. There are rallies in the United States Capitol all the time on issues that I don't agree with, but it's very American to come here to do that. Right. And on this Jan- this January 6th witch hunt committee, they're attacking people who came here to, to support a president who they love, to exercise their, their uh, constitutional rights to be heard. And this committee is attacking them for it. They're going after them for it. And that, that's the shameful part. We have to separate that from people who rioted, who caused violence, who attacked Capitol Police officers. Those are very different people, and those people should be held to the fullest extent of the law. But this committee isn't focused on that. They're not focused on what happened at the Capitol. Rachel Maddow is right. They're focused on, on people who came to peacefully assemble and uh, who, who President Trump took, told to go down patriotically and peacefully make your voice heard. They can't seem to get over that fact, and and that that's why this uh, this uh, committee witch hunt uh, investigation has gone off the tracks and in the wrong direction. I mean, there's one thing that's pretty clear too, and I want to get to Congressman Banks. You're moving to press to Biden on getting answers on why they dropped arson charges against these rioters in these uh, BLM riots from a, a year and a half ago. But I want to get you. One thing is clear: uh, is that the Bill Stepians uh, much different than the Rudy Giuliani's. Uh, Mike Pence, I think, is as loyal to President Trump as anybody, uh, you know, at the point he's in Trump's uh, on Trump's bad side and others. They had the so-called normal uh, legal team and the abnormal legal team. How do you explain being that I know the president has great respect for you, the fracture within the uh, the Trump White House in the last few months? Well, never forget, uh, in in these all of these January 6th committee hearings, you're seeing selectively edited snippets of interviews. You're not seeing the whole thing. And and by the way, Rodney Davis, the ranking member of the House Administration Committee, who was supposed to be on the Jan 6 Committee with me, he's instructed this committee to preserve all of the 100,000 pages of documents and more, because we're going to investigate how this committee is, has abused their power, how they've, how they've, um, how they've actually uh, violated the rules of the House of Representatives when we get the majority back next year. So when you see snippets of Stepien and Jason Miller and and others who are test even Ivanka and Jared and others who are testifying. You're only seeing a small snippet of it. You're not seeing the whole thing. So view it with a lot of skepticism. But 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 you're exact you're exactly right. I mean I, you know you you uh, as you as as this goes further on, you're going to see a one-sided view of of who was advising the president during those days and. And uh, we, we have to uh, – there, there's so many more questions that that raises that you're not going to get to see the full picture because they're only showing you a little bit of it. Congressman Jim Banks, our guest. Congressman, uh, you, you're asking uh, the White House to tell me why, uh, why the Department of Justice have dropped arson charges against these left-wing rioters who were trying to blow up police cars, an NYPD vehicle in the aftermath of George Floyd riots. All of a sudden, they just let these guys go. They were lawyers, by the way. Yeah, there were a couple of lawyers in, in New York City who uh, tried to blow up a police car. They, they got the, the Trump DOJ arrested them, uh, sentenced to 10 years. The Biden DOJ dropped it to two years. But then there's another case is Victor Sanchez was caught trying to he was trying to light a glove and blow up a police car, too, during one of these BLM riots. And um, that, that carries a five year mandatory minimum sentence. Trump Trump DOJ arrested him. The Biden DOJ DOJ. DOJ just completely dropped the charges against him. So you're seeing a, it's not it's not just about these one or two cases. You're seeing a pattern here of the Depart- the Biden Department of Justice dropping charges against left wing uh, rioters, 
uh, and and uh, activists. And then on the right, I mean, you, you go back to January 6th, for example, you've had eight, over 800 people arrested from January 6th, and they've only dropped charges on like a, a very small handful of them. Not, I'm not saying that they should. What I'm pointing out is a different set of rules of justice for those on the left and those on the right. And by the way, if you drop charges on left-wing activists who blow up police cars, you're basically legalizing that kind of behavior. So the, D- the Department of Justice needs to be called out for it. I've sent them a letter demanding to know why they dropped charges on this uh, Victor Sanchez. And uh, we're going we're gonna to force them to explain it to the American people. Other- otherwise, they're telling, they're telling more people to go out and, and attack police officers and, and uh, continue this kind of behavior because under their, under their regime, that's, uh, that's uh, uh, completely okay. So I know you're the ranking member on the subcommittee on cyber and chairman of the Republican Study Committee, which is important, uh, and a member of the House Armed Services Committee. Should you get the majority, Congressman Banks, what would you look to do? Well, I hope to be a leader in the Republican conference. Um, I, I, I've spent the last term as Republican of, or chairman of the largest uh, caucus on Capitol Hill and, and really framing what our agenda will look like when we get the majority back. When we get the majority back, I want to be one of the leaders in the Republican conference who are helping to push it, get us back to what we know worked, the, the Trump agenda, the, the agenda that put America first, put America on top, and uh, roll back uh, this, uh, the, the outrageous radical agenda that the left has pushed on us the last couple of years that has, put, has, has made America, put America last in all of our policies. So I, ho- I hope, Brian, I hope to be on the front lines and in the, in the weeks and months to come. We'll, uh, we'll see and know more about what that will look like, but I, I hope to continue to be a leader for the Republican Party. Lastly, are you worried about what's happening in Ukraine right now? They seem to have lost the momentum, and the, and the artillery fire from afar is allowing the Russians to make gains. Yeah, I, I, I continue to be concerned there, and, and, and the, the Biden administration continues to, to disappoint us in ensuring that Ukraine gets the type of lethal aid, the military support that they need to fight back against the Russians. And next week, we have the markup of the annual National Defense Authorization Act and the Armed Services Committee. And this will be a hot topic as we as we create and draft that annual bill uh, to support our military. And a big, a big part of that is going to be what we can do to help Ukraine. All right. Congressman Jim Banks, always great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Right. And I think in the retrospect, one of the big mistakes they made is, is kicking off Banks and Jordan. What do you think? one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Um, You know, I'm focused on 2022, uh, but with Elon Musk, what I would say is, you know, I welcome support from African-Americans. What can I say? And by the way, among the people who thought that was a funny line, Van Jones, he said he learned a lot from President Trump, which is true. He's very confrontational, does not miss a chance to punch someone back when they go after him. And he is very quick on his feet. That's an example of it. Elon Musk uh, saying that Ron DeSantis is his guy also is not insignificant, too, because he mentioned he made his first vote for a Republican ever in, from Myra Flores in Texas, where he's uh, officially a resident. Remember I told you how Democrats' new strategy is to boost up uh, what they can't term extreme Republican candidates so they can beat him in the general? Here's an example of one of those ads from a super PAC, a political ad super PAC, uh, and is pr- promoting Colorado conservative Ron Hanks, 
for his uh, for the June twenty eighth GOP primary. Cut twenty. How conservative is Ron Hanks? Hanks was rated one of the most conservative members in the state house. He says Joe Biden's election was a fraud. Hanks wants to ban all abortions, and he wants to build Trump's border wall. Hanks even sponsored a bill that would allow concealed carry with no permits. Ron Hanks, too conservative for Colorado. Democratic Colorado is responsible for the content of this advertising. Right. Uh, So what they're saying is the things that sell to Republicans, there you're looking at as a negative. But Republicans might go, well, that's my guy. And that might be fine. But in order to win the general in a purple state, you got moderates and some conservative, moderate Democrats and some independents. And the conventional wisdom is those people on the extremes, the AOC, win in AOC-like districts, so extremely liberal districts and radical liberal districts, almost socialist districts. But she would never be able to win the state because she'd get kicked out of Long Island and kicked out of New York State and Colorado, very red, very blue, some in the middle. And he'd be the perfect nominee if you're a Democrat. That's the theory. I think it's cynical. Can you imagine running for office just saying, listen, I know I suck, but I'm going to prove that the other guy is worse. That's how you win? I guess people that are outraged by that, the David Axrods of the world, the Carl Rove, say, well, no, Brian, that's the way it works. Well, Carl Rove wrote a column today in the Wall Street Journal. It just talks about how cynical it is. Charles Lane, who tends to lead left, kind of a moderate guy, also says Democrats got to make a choice. Do you have a good message or is your message just not as bad as Republicans? Not really sure why you want to be in the business if, if the latter is true. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget One Nation, Saturday nights, 8 o'clock, again at 11, on the Fox News Channel. Set your DVR for it and keep it here on this radio show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show here at 48th and 6th. Heard around the country, heard around the world, uh, and hopefully in the Ukraine. Uh, Interesting poll numbers showing how American people are really stressed out about where we're heading economically. Not that concerned about foreign policy at the moment. Uh, Brian Rotel is going to be on with us shortly and talk about how the biggest rate uh, upgrade, biggest rate rise since 1994 took place yesterday. The market liked it yesterday. They don't seem to like it today. Uh, it is the market is down under 30,000, down 718 points. Man, that's disturbing. And then Tom Glavin, the former Met and Brave Hall of Fame pitcher. He is uh, going to talk golf and we're going to talk about what's happening in the world of sports, too, because he's in the 2022 American Century Championship. So before we go any further, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. We're working in lockstep to meet Ukraine's requests for new capabilities. We're providing Ukraine's defenders with HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems, and that will significantly boost Ukraine's capabilities. When? When are you going to get it there, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin? Critical time for Ukraine as EU heavyweights visit Kyiv, the capital, to meet with Zelensky. Why the West has to make sure he and his forces do not lose, we'll discuss. 
Number two. Republicans have been making inroads specifically with Latino voters. And this is a warning sign to Democrats that in a Biden district, heavily Latino, Republicans were able to make gains here. A warning sign for Democrats about their relationship with Latino voters given this economy. Yes, they've earned that distrust. You can't beat them, undermine them. The Dem push to boost in so-called extreme Republican candidates in the primary so they have a better chance of winning in the general. As sinking poll numbers show that Joe and his party are all but going to drown as the GOP has made stunning gains inside the Hispanic community, as you just heard. We'll explain. Number one. It's also very coincidental that all these oil company executives became so greedy just when Joe Biden took office. The reason we have $5 a gallon gas is because of Joe Biden's policies. Remember, on the campaign trail, they were going to declare war on oil and gas in America, and that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, that is Tom Cotton. Pain at the pump and inflation are affecting every aspect of our economy, and the president has opted to blame everyone except himself and his policies But we will not hesitate. Uh, So let's talk about what the American people think. Fox News did a poll and said, what's the condition of the economy? Now, 18% said good. Uh, 82% said fair. How is that different from 2020, let's say in January? 55% of the country said it was good. 45, 44% said only fair or poor. So that's pretty significant. That's when you got the keys to the house, along with a vaccine and already a million shots in the arm. Then we know you pulled out of Afghanistan. You know, you uh, left Ukraine naked up until the last minute. And we know you've done with to oil and gas. Fox News said, what's the condition of the economy now? Only 5% said excellent. Uh, 13% said good. Uh, 25% said fair. How do, um, how do you feel about the economy? Only 32% say optimistic now. It was at 59% in 2018, 63% in February of 2019. Other significant things. Uh, the most important issue to you to vote on. Now, think about that. Ask yourself that what's most important. If you are a Democrat, 27% says inflation. That still tops. 53 among Republicans. Guns, 20%. 5% among uh, Republicans. Abortion, 12%. Say that's important for Democrats. 7% for Republicans. Border security, 1% say the, Dem- the Democrats are concerned about that. 12% for Republicans. To me, every American should be concerned about that. You have a kid in school, it's going to be affected class size. You have a teacher, you're going to be having to teach no two or three languages or or use more time for those people that don't belong here, that don't have a family structure around here. So let's look at how the country feels. Now what the president's going to do is he's blaming Vladimir Putin. He is blaming oil and gas companies. Jennifer Granholm is beginning to threaten the oil and gas companies as if she doesn't vilify them every day of the week. Cut five. There was a study yesterday that came out of Reuters, and it said that while the profits in the first quarter were record profits, we also know that they returned about $9.5 billion to shareholders. If they had even taken half of that, we're not against profit, obviously, if they had taken just half of that and reinvested it in supply, we would see hundreds more rigs, we would see hundreds of thousands more barrels of oil. We're asking them to be in this era where we're on a war Mm -hmm. footing to consider increasing supply. How? You've already maxed out capacity when it comes to refineries. You stopped allowing, they say, a 1,000 barrels to come through this Alaska pipeline. You got uh, 400,000. So that's off 600,000. She's also blaming uh, driving season. She's also saying we should build more windmills. We don't have to worry about wind and solar panels. When we know there's problems with that, they all have to be supplemented as well as electric. 
I hate when people go out of their way to deceive us because that's what's happening right now. There's no sincerity in them saying drill more. There's nothing built in to do this. Tom Cotton, cut 11. Yes, we should sit in the prize that the gang that gave us 8.5% inflation is bad at math. Um, it's also very coincidental that all these oil company executives became so greedy just when Joe Biden took office. The reason we have $5 a gallon gas is because of Joe Biden's policies, and it's the exact design of Joe Biden's policies. Remember, on the campaign trail, he and all those other Democrats said they were going to phase out fossil fuels. They were going to declare war on oil and gas in America, and that's exactly what they've done. And the casualties of that war are America's families and businesses. And his approval of the president has dropped now to 39%. And among a lot of that people in that study, more were Democrats that weighed in. Um, so you have people like Elon Musk coming out and saying, you know what, I'm going to support Ron DeSantis on this. So what the Republicans are doing now is have to fend off what the Democrats are doing, and that is they are trying to support extreme candidates uh, so like, like Darren Bailey as too conservative for Illinois. Senator Doug Mastriano won the Republican nomination, which made President Trump happy. But he's looked at as the easiest mark for the Democrats to become the next governor of Pennsylvania. The inventor of this strategy is former Senator Claire McCaskill, who, who eventually lost, who effectively deployed her 2012 campaign during the primary. She spent $1.7 million attacking her weakest Republican opponent. Todd Akin, as too conservative. But that's who Republicans wanted to hear. He got the nomination. Guess what? She won another uh, six years. She would eventually lose in 2018, thankfully, because she's a do-nothing partisan. So what is the most important thing to you and your family? 90% say gas prices. Grocery prices, 88%. Utility costs, 81%. Healthcare costs, 69%. So whoever can answer those questions, make people feel better about those questions, they will be the next president of the United States. As the Wall Street Journal says that, or the party in power, the Wall Street Journal says this about the president's blame game. The U.S. has lost about one million barrels a day of refining capacity to the pandemic. Some new refineries opened up in Asia, but the International Energy Agency recently reported the global capacity last year fell by 730,000 barrels. That affects the price a day, Okay. So the president also said a major culprit of the U.S. government said some older refineries have closed because companies couldn't justify spending on upgrades because the president made it clear the fossil fuel is going to be history. To me, I would have upgraded anyway, knowing that Republicans will eventually be back in power. Listen, I'm going to come back and talk to Brian Rotella about how to make heads or tails of this when it comes to your own personal finances. Uh, Brian's a, the attorney, founder and CEO and senior partner of Genco Legal. And then we're going to talk to Tom Glavin, and then we'll squeeze in your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show on this Thursday. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So as I mentioned, we, we 75 basis points today. I said the next meeting could could well be about a decision between 50 and 75. That would put us at the end of the July meeting, you know, in in that range of in that more normal range, and that's a desirable place to be because you begin to have more optionality there about 
the speed with which you would proceed going forward. If things are better, we don't need to do that much. So, and if they're not, then we, you know, we either do that much or possibly even more. Uh, optionality, that's a word I was not thinking of using ever. Uh, Jerome Powell, uh, that him yesterday, chairman of the Fed, raising rates, uh, 0.75 basis points, first time, and the biggest gain since 1994. And the market liked it yesterday. They seem to hate it today. And people were cheering it yesterday. I guess those people weren't trying to buy a house. Brian Rotel is with us now, attorney, founder, and CEO, and senior partner of Genco Legal. Hey, Brian, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Great. Uh, very glad to be back. What did the, the Fed do? Did the Fed help or hurt yesterday? Uh, kind of do what's necessary, it seems. It, we've got to stop this inflation. I mean, nobody's going to cry for lawyers or doctors, but I'm a lawyer and I represent doctors. We can't retain people, Brian. The salaries are getting out of control because I mean, people are having to buy stuff. So. It's becoming a cycle because when you're out looking for a lawyer or you're out looking for a doctor, part of the reason that you're having a lot of waits and not being able to get in and see people or your people aren't being responsive is directly related to this inflation. It is hitting us as far as being able to retain talent. Right. People are jumping, but it's hitting us on retaining, so they've got to do something. Even lawyers and doctors. Even lawyers I, and doctors. See, I thought they might be immune to it. And no one's going to cry for it. I mean, look – no one's going to cry for us, but at the same point, you need lawyers and doctors to do some professional services, and it ultimately hits the patient and it hits the client because what's the number right. one thing that they care about? They don't want to be ignored, and doctors and lawyers are feeling like they're ignoring their patients and clients because we aren't able to keep people. Right. So tell me about what's going on with health care and what we should look for. We're all focused on oil and gas and refineries, and of course, everyone wants to drive and go on vacation and see – uh, you know, what air travel is going to be like, why our food costs so much because diesel prices are up and how's our food being delivered to supermarkets through trucks? I get it. But uh, along the way, you focus on health care. What should we keep our eye on? I wrote a piece back in 2016 about the big Obamacare bubble. Um, my admission here, I was wrong. I was six years late. Uh, didn't know what was going to happen, which we are in a bubble right now, which is when they did the American recovery plan or whatever it was last year. When the president first got in, he passed $1.9 trillion. Right. And part of that $1.9 trillion was a, just a massive juicing of what are called subsidies that went into the Obamacare exchanges. It used to be for people only up to 400, uh, 400% of the poverty line. That was like 50000 for an individual, about 104000 for a family of four. So what happens? Now – People are getting subsidies that make a family of four making $265,000 a year. They're getting $7,800 from the government for the taxpayer for health care. They don't need it. They're getting it. They're using it. Well, what's that doing? It's inflating the cost of health care. This expires, Brian, in January of 2023. Well, what's happening in November? When everyone's talking about it, it's going to be a different different. It's going to be a red wave, it looks it's like. It's going to be a red wave. So what's going to happen? Are they they're not going to renew that. They're not going to renew it. And all of a sudden, you've got, you've got $30 billion that has been pumped into the Obamacare exchanges going away. That's going to have an impact. Right. And it's uh, things that people need, necessary. Pe- things that people need. And now the health care cost is up here. And it's like the housing market. What happens when it resets? Uh, I think it's amazing in six months, if you told somebody their interest rates were going up, they begin to panic. Now the market yesterday said, thank goodness the interest rates are going up. But can you, Brian Rotel, to let me know, what are the ripple effects of a rise in interest rates? A rise in interest rates has so many ripple effects. And the ripple effect, I mean, again, I can just speak to in healthcare. When you move up interest rates in healthcare, what are you doing? Well, 
anyone who has a mortgage, anybody who's paying interest rates on credit cards, you are paying more for that. Ultimately, what do people end up not doing? They're not paying on health care. What's the number one crisis no one's talking about, Brian, that came out of this pandemic? People delayed going and getting essential care. Things like colonoscopies, things that people need to get. Why? Well, I'll tell you what, Brian, not only did they delay it, they were told not to come. Exactly. Because they were told those elective, so-called elective surgery should stop. Yeah, it was government mandated that you couldn't go in. And so now you've got people who have delayed important preventive care, didn't get it, and now they can't, they're going to say, am I going to be choosing between paying that deductible right. and with these interest rates going up, we're going to have a sicker and sicker country that's good for nobody. You know, a lot of people say, look, health care, it does really hit everybody, but to a degree when it happens. So thankfully, if you don't have a problem, you're not really thinking about health care. If no one in your family's in hospital, and we hope that's the case everywhere, you're not thinking about it. One thing that's hitting everybody is inflation. You mentioned about job rotation and retention. Here's what Britt Hume has been around, cut 13. There's nothing that we can see now that would give us any reason to hope that inflation will will subside uh, between now and, and the midterms, which are you know just a few months away. So it looks like that's going to be a burden around their neck. Do you think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in Florida especially. Especially. I mean, I'm based, as you know, in Florida. This inflation, as far as for what's going to happen with anyone who's running for office right now, it's what everyone's talking about. Again, to go back to what we started with, when you've got law firms and lawyers and doctors talking about inflation and the inflating salaries, how do you bring in a new class of doctors and lawyers? The expectation as to those starting salaries, things are getting out of control, and ultimately it comes back in my world to the client and the patient, and it's not good for them. Right. So I want to talk about the governor, uh, Ron DeSantis. He wins by one point. He's about to get another four years, it looks like. And the question is, will he run again? Here's an example of Ron DeSantis being aggressive by trade and by nature. Maybe you could tell me how the people of Florida view him. Cut 25. Um, you know, I'm focused on 2022, uh, but with Elon Musk, what I would say is, you know, I welcome support from African-Americans. What can I say? He's South African. He was asked about Elon Musk tweeting out that he looks like he's leaning towards DeSantis. Can you give me a sense from talking to your clients as well as your peers? How is Ron DeSantis viewed inside Florida? Well, uh, right now I can just tell you where I live in Tampa, it's booming. We are – Florida feels like it's a place where – we have a really good economy going on right now. Uh, that is a reflection in a lot of ways of Governor DeSantis. You don't hear people talking critically about Governor DeSantis the way you hear people talking about the administration. And I, you know, look, I'll be honest. You also don't hear people talking about Ron DeSantis or Governor DeSantis the way they talked about the president from the prior administration. He seems to have this ability, Governor DeSantis, for whatever the reason is, to be very objective as far as how a wide range, and I'm talking of a lot of the professionals I deal with, doctors and lawyers, perceive him. They're looking at him as, is this guy somebody who's doing common sense policy without all the other rhetoric? And you mentioned COVID-19 and the president, uh, the governor was very aggressive about making, letting Floridians make their own decisions. How was he received originally and how was he received now with those decisions? Because they certainly look good. I, I I can tell you what I find really, really interesting is I work with a lot of millennials in Generation Z. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but they do not like having – they didn't like the mandate. They didn't like having to have anything injected into their bodies that they didn't know about, and they didn't like wearing the masks. All of a sudden, Governor DeSantis seems to be having a real uptick in that group, which is not something that you traditionally see. And a lot of people – where you are now in New York City – 
lost a lot of their people to Florida by tens of thousands. And people, we it's funny, and I'm originally from New York, people that are coming down from New York are talking and they are not, it's one of my first trips up here in the last few years through the pandemic, they're not speaking highly about New York. They're really enjoying the time that they're having in Florida. Right, uh, absolutely. Uh, some tourists are coming back, but unfortunately law enforcement is not empowered to keep us safe. 92% are concerned about crime. And I want you to have a good visit, but keep your head in a swivel, Brian. Brian Rotella, uh, he's uh, Genco Legal. Uh, he's a senior partner for Genco Legal. Thanks so much, Brian. Always great to hear from you. My, uh, absolutely my pleasure. All right, uh, Tom Glavin next. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Into left field. Gant can't get it. That will empty the bases. Lavin heads for third. Six to nothing Atlanta. And there you go. That was uh, one of the moments that Tom Glavin probably won't forget, but he's had a lot of them. 1996 NLCS uh, in Game 7. Glavin hit a triple. The guy could play. Uh, he could play, he can hit, and we all know he had a Hall of Fame pitcher pitching career with the Braves and Mets. Tom Glavin is now talking golf. Uh, with the, he's going to be in the 2022 American Century Championship uh, because he could do it all. Tom, welcome back. I uh, I like that introduction. That's a lot to live up to, Brian. I know. Well, you did it. You lived it. I watched you here in New York. I actually watched you guys when you – the first time I heard of how great your young pitching staff was – WFAN, which is an all-sports radio station here in New York, was at Mickey Mantle's. And you guys came and visited Bill Mazur there. And he just talked about, glowingly, and everyone saw your stats, how great you guys are going to be for a long time. And then you added Maddox, and you were great for a long time. Yeah, I mean, who would have, you know, who would have necessarily known that? But, uh, yeah, look, it was uh, a perfect storm, I guess. We had uh, myself and Smolty and Steve Avery at the time at kind of all came up through our through the brave system and grew up together and then you have a little success and oh by the way then you had probably the best pitcher in the national league at that time and greg maddox so it was uh it was fun you know and i think the best thing was we you know obviously we all had talent but i think we all respected the heck out of one another and uh generally wanted each other to do well and and knew how important we were to the overall goals of the team. So, um, you know, we had friendly competitions between one another. and No question, we, we kind of motivated each other. If, you know, somebody went out and had a good game the night before, you wanted to go out and do one a little bit better. So um, it, we, we drove each other, and, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it'd be tough. You know, you look at it now, it'd be awful tough in today's game, uh, economically speaking, to keep a, a rotation like that together. So we were fortunate. Yeah, they had a luxury, they have a luxury tax now. I guess you could spend... Uh, back then, uh, it's kind of a salary cap. That's the way it's functioning. But, Tom, you're forgetting about John Rocker. Another time, because I started doing sports here at Fox, the, when sports became news, I would cover it. And when John Rocker came to town, that was some crazy times, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, crazy is probably a good, a good word to describe <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, he, uh, he lit a little fire there with his um, with his. Sports Illustrated interview? That, yeah, so uh, it was, a, you know, I mean, I remember I think that that year we came back, our first game, the first game that he saved out in L.A., 
uh, we went out to shake hands after the game and we got showered with all kinds of things. So it was, uh, <laughs> it became a dangerous endeavor to go out there and shake hands at the end of a game when, when John closed it at that time. Uh, of course, this is something you won't forget for sure. Cut, uh, cut 35, 1995, game six, Mark Wallers. Bayerga is 0 for 3. Left center field. Grissom on the run. The team of the 90s has its world championship. Your thoughts? You know, it was a lot. It was, I guess I say it's a long time coming. I mean, you know, we had come up short a couple times, obviously, in 91 and 92, and then got beaten in the NLCS by the Phillies in 93, which, you know, with that team, I think we thought was probably one of the best teams that we had assembled. And, um, had the historic comeback the second half of the year, and I think we were just kind of out of gas when we got to the postseason. But um, to finally win, uh, you know, it was a, a great feeling, obviously, and, and I think what made it even better was, you know, largely it was the same group that had been through the disappointments. You know, we had we had some changes here and there, but for the most part, the nucleus of that team had, had been together for to experience the losses in the World Series. So to ultimately do it, with largely the same group was um, was a ton of fun. And, you know, I mean, I think we look at it and, and we're disappointed we only got the one, but, you know, we got beat some, by some pretty good teams when we got beat. And, you know, that following year against the Yankees, we had a chance to repeat and we were up 2 nothing, and, and, you know, didn't get it done. But, you know, I mean, look, 14 straight division titles is not something you ever expect to do. So we had, a, <laughs> we had an opportunity every year, so it was fun. Right, absolutely. So you came to New York in 2000. Uh, three to 2007, were car- carried here by WABC too. So everyone remembers you as a Met, and then you ended up with the Braves. But you started from '87 to 2002 to accomplish all that. Here's what your former teammate, who's going to be golfing in the American Century Championship along with you, who's a real good golfer as well, John Smoltz said about the Braves' chance of catching your former team, the Mets, who by the way have won 14 in a row and now just four games back of the Mets. Cut 40. Can Atlanta catch the Mets? I don't think the Atlanta Braves can catch the Mets this year. Um, the Mets are the, the deepest team I've seen uh, in the National League for their, for their organization, and they're doing it without their best two pitchers. The Mets last year just weren't as good to hold on to that lead, and that's why the Braves made all those moves. I don't think that's the case this year, and I believe the New York Mets, as much as these fan base has been dying to see this team get to October, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised this year, and they can make a real deep run. So the, that's the analyst, John Smoltz. What does Tom Glavin think? I, I don't disagree with a lot of that. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say that, you know, the, the Braves can't catch the Mets. But, you know, I think that if you're, a, if you're a Mets fan, you have to be encouraged by what's going on. I mean, you, you've got a four or four or five game lead in the division now. Uh, you know, the Braves obviously won 14 in a row and they've made a big run. And you would you would anticipate when a team behind you wins 14 in a row, they're going to gain some ground. But, you know, the, the Mets have held in there. And, and to John's point, they're a very deep team, obviously, to be able to be where they are, given that they've been without DeGrom and Scherzer. And, you know, I think if you're a Mets fan, like I said, you, you see where you are. And if, you know, you just said to your fan base, hey, in, in the middle of June, we're going to be four games up on the Braves, and we're, we're going to have a, a large part of our season with our, without our two horses and Scherzer and DeGrom. I think every Mets fan would have been thrilled by that. So being where they are and knowing that Scherzer hopefully is close to coming back and DeGrom, you know, would almost, if he's able to come back the second half of the year, it would almost be like a, you know, a trade deadline kind of deal for them. That would be a huge boost. So I think it, a lot of it depends on, on whether or not Max and, and DeGrom uh, are, are able to make significant 
contributions over the second half of the year. And lastly, the biggest story I think in baseball is the Yankees now 30 games over 500. Uh, they, you know, in the offseason, you know what New York's like, Tom. They were talking about Brian Cashman's got to go. This team needs to be broken up. And now no one can stop them. They've won six in a row again. Aaron Judge looks like he's going to break Roger Maris's record at 60 in a single season. Uh, I guess it's at least a team record. Well, uh, 61, I should say. Cut 38. The 3 2. Driven out to right center field. Margot back on the track at the wall. See ya. Home run. Aaron Judge. His 25th. And it's a 1 nothing Yankee lead. How do you explain his success? 6 7 guy wasn't hitting much for average in the minors. He's changed a lot. Now, and he's staying healthy these days. How does Tom Glavin pitch Judge? How do you explain uh, what are the big challenges? I think you pitch him carefully. Uh, okay. you know, I mean, look, he's, you know, look, for a lot of guys, it's, that's the beauty of baseball, I think, that, that more so than a lot of sports, that you just don't know when a guy, when that light bulb is going to go off for a guy and he starts to figure stuff out. And, you know, Aaron Judge obviously is a huge talent, uh, just a monster of a guy, a uh, physical guy. I mean, you know, if he puts it all together, then then you don't know what he's capable, or you're you're interested in see what he's capable of doing. I think you're starting to see glimpses of that, glimpses of that, and and you know he's just such a a presence in that lineup, a presence in the batter's box. You know, he can make he can not hit a ball and still get it out of the ballpark. So I think as an opposing pitcher, he's really one of those guys that um, you, you you look at and you say, well, you can't you can't repeat too much. You got to constantly change speeds and constantly change locations. And hope you don't make a mistake, because if you do, there's a good chance he's going to get you. But, uh, you know, that, that's why baseball players, I think, in general are so boring, Brian, is because <laughs> if, we listen, if we listen to every time a, a, a um, you know, pundit said that our team was going to stink or we were going to stink or this guy needed to go and then you end up, everybody ends up being wrong, uh, we would all go crazy. So I think that's why in our, in, in our game, we really do tend to try to stay on that even keel and not listen to a whole lot of stuff because so much – so many things change in baseball from from a you know a month to month standpoint that you'd be crazy if you got caught up in everything people said. All right, so Tom, how soon? I know you're a good hockey player too. Uh, so now you're playing golf, the 2022 American Century Championship. Uh, you're going to be there with a bunch of other uh, celebrities and sports celebrities. You've already, they've already raised $6 million for charity. How serious do you take this? It airs on the Golf Channel beginning t- uh, tomorrow. Uh, excuse me, starts uh, July 8th. Uh, airing on the Golf Channel July 8th and Saturday and Sunday, uh, 9th and 10th, with 600000 uh, uh at stake. So how do you approach this tournament? Um, we all take it seriously. I mean, it's the premier uh, celebrity event, obviously. And, and look, I mean, uh, for a lot of guys that play in the tournament, and I guess in past years you could put me in that category, you, don't, you know you don't have a chance to win, but you still want to go out there and you want to play well. And you know, there are guys around you that you look at and you say, okay, well, I want to beat that guy. I want to beat that guy. Or I want to finish in the top 20 or I want to finish in the top 25, whatever. So it's, you know, you take it seriously. You, you, you drive yourself to go out there to try and play well. Uh, it's an uncomfortable environment for all of us Saturday golfers, you know, because there's a gallery and you got to put everything out and, you know, there's always the embarrassment factor, but, um, it's a blast. I mean, you get to, you get those competitive juices going, which for a lot of us retired athletes, there's not a lot that does that anymore. So to be able to go out there and kind of have that feeling of nervousness again, when you get on that first tee, uh, it's a lot of fun, but you know, I've played it in a number of years now. So you're, you know, there are guys that I see out there every year that it's, you know, it's fun to go back and see them and play against them. And, uh, and certainly some of the guys that are playing today, 
that we all watch on TV to get an opportunity to meet some of those guys. So it, it really is a great event, but uh, I'm looking to, uh, I'm looking to play better this year, Brian. I didn't play very well last year. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking to be one of the surprise guys this year. And of course your teammate is uh, lost in the playoffs to Vinny Del Negro uh, in the playoff last year. So you can't let Smoltz beat you again, although I hear he's pretty awesome. <laughs> he's pretty darn good. So he, if I can't win the tournament, I, I damn sure want to beat him. So that's my secondary goal. All right, uh, Tom, lastly, are you, are you <laughs> worried at all about baseball? People talk about to pick up the game. What, what could be cha- What changes? Should they be more open to it? The DH in both leagues for now. What, what would you, are you concerned about the game? For the big picture, not for, mean, the, not for the baseball nuts like you and the great players, yeah. but for the ones, for the, for the, ambivalent sports fan who moves to big events uh, you know i mean i think even for the for the lifelong baseball fan you know somebody like myself there's concern right i don't i don't necessarily love the game the way it's played right now i hate all the pitching changes i hate all the analytics um you know i think for for fans across the board there's a concern uh you know about the three outcome game right where home run walk and strikeout is all we ever see there's very little strategy anymore uh you know for the less baseball fan, you know, they don't want to go to the ballpark and sit there for three and a half hours uh, and watch nothing happen. So, I, I mean, I think those are all concerns. And, and I'll give baseball credit. Uh, they've been open to some change. And uh, certainly a lot of things that they're implementing at the minor league level, experimenting with uh, to try and see if they can bring it to the big league level. But, you know, I definitely think there are some some things that, that can change and need to change both from a – a length of game standpoint and from just a pure action standpoint. I think the game needs more action. Right. Uh, it's just hard to tell people they can't use analytics. And I guess you could. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. Tom, great talking to you. Always. Uh, and thanks for your years in New York and uh, Atlanta. You what a great career. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for the time. All right. Go get him. one 408 We're going to come back uh, and take your calls in just a moment. And then, of course, at the top of the hour, i got to tell you, I'm going to be outnumbered at 12 on Fox News Channel. And don't forget, One Nation, which is Saturday at 8 o'clock, repeated again at 11, all Eastern time zones. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't know what the Fed is going to do in the months ahead, partly because the Fed doesn't know what it's going to do in the months ahead. Having completely missed the high inflation story in the first place, the Fed now says inflation remains elevated, reflecting, like, you got to love this, supply and demand imbalances related to the pandemic, higher energy prices, and broader price pressures. I keep looking in their notes for the statement, we were wrong. We ballooned the money supply, M2, by 40%. We bought nearly two-thirds of the bonds sold by Joe Biden's $2 trillion rescue package, and that was a huge mistake, and all that's what's caused inflation. I keep looking for that, but I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, we saw Janet Yellen say she was wrong. Uh, It wasn't transitory, but that's a given. Uh, That's like saying I, I, I heard it wasn't going to rain, and it rains. Okay, sorry, I, I had the wrong prediction. I mean, we all know that it's not only was she wrong, but it was wrong epically. 8.6% in 
And then the president of the United States tells us, well, compared to everybody else, we're better off. Really? Uh, not according to the Eurozone, not according to Germany especially, not according to South Korea, not Australia, or Canada. All of them have high, lower inflation rates than we do. And then you have other experts who say it has a lot to do with the $1.9 trillion rescue plan that we didn't need, that flooded everybody with money that we didn't have, that kept people from getting jobs that they were told to go back to or taking jobs at all. A lot of them said, I got enough money, I'm going to hoard it. Because inflation was about 2%, no big rush to get back, unemployment insurance was extended, and all together that came together to have money be worth less, and now supply chain's the big issue because of the pandemic, things that were out of our control, but were unable to be anticipated that should have been. Eric, you're listening on WDBO in Orlando on there yesterday in the morning. What's on your mind? Hey, Brian. Great to hear you again. Um, They won't talk about this, but as you know, if you go and look, you could find information. Well, I saw on Real Real Clear Politics and a couple other websites, some of the first defendants of the January 6th trials were either acquitted or the charges were dropped. Right. Because the, the defense is bringing out videos of the police taking down the barriers and asking and inviting people in. And they show a clip of one attorney going, how is it insurrection when you're invited? So your, your take on and, all And, this. Eric, a couple of things. And that's what I was – I don't know if you heard my interview with Jim Banks. And I really believe this. In retrospect, I'm watching this. I'm seeing this edit. I'm okay, okay, Liz Cheney, good delivered, well written. There goes that clip. There goes another clip. Goes the break. Comes back more. I'm going, wait a second. What's missing? Any other dissenting point of view? And people, if you are really concerned that President Trump – actually orchestrated a raid on the Capitol building, not seen since the British in 1814, then don't be afraid to have that cross point of view that says he didn't. And what you're seeing now is where was the security? And then some of the security was moving barriers away. And the thing that I found disconcerting, it reminded me of that day. The reason why I thought there was something up and I did text one of the Trumps and I said, what's going on? Do you got, you know, you should stop this. And they came back and they said, you know this isn't our people. You know how we treat law enforcement. Our people do not are not aggressive like this. Brian, you've been to our rallies, which is all true. I covered them. In fact, most of the Trump people get beat up at the rallies. And they got beat up a few weeks prior when they were targeted and Antifa was raiding the White House and the president had to be brought to the basement. Remember all that. So that was the mood in the country at the time. And there were times where the cops said you can go in. There were a lot of cops that saw sees a red hat and thinks they see an ally. And there were other people dressed in camouflage, looking full armor. They, they were problematic. I never heard of the Proud Boys except for uh, by name, name of a group. I didn't know what they looked like. Now I do. They were part of that. Whatever the other group's name was, that's a little different than Trump supporters. And if you really want to, and it starts again in about an hour, if you really do want to present both sides and win people over, present both sides and win people over. Don't do one. And expect us not to understand there is a flip side to your opinion. Thank you, Eric. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. This hour, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world, 
We're going to be joined by Alexi Lawless, one of the greatest uh, American soccer players ever, now a Hall of Fame broadcaster, or on the precipice of doing that, Fox Sports analyst. Uh, he's going to be here first. He's going to be in town for a special event because in 2026, we're going to be hosting the World Cup here in America and Canada and Mexico, kind of splitting it. We're going to name the American cities uh, that will ho- actually, we're going to name all the cities, including Canada and Mexico, that are going to be hosting these events. Uh, we will make that announcement uh, through the broadcasters. Uh, there's going to be uh, Holden's going to be here. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, uh, Stone is going to be here. We, uh, he's going to be the play-by-play guy. Uh, we know this. Uh, Stuart Holden, his first name. And then we're going to have, I think, maybe the greatest American player ever uh, is going to be here. We'll see if we can get him on the show before I give it away. So uh, we'll talk about that. He's young. He's uh, playing over in Chelsea. Um, so we'll talk about that. Alexi Lau is coming up shortly. And Tim Stewart's next. He's the president of U.S. Oil and Gas Association. He, like everybody else, has been called out and vilified for the price of oil and gas in this country. Unjustly, we'll expand on that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're working in lockstep to meet Ukraine's requests for new capabilities. We're providing Ukraine's defenders with HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems, and yeah. that will significantly boost Ukraine's capability. Okay, good. Uh, when? Uh, when's it going to get there? Critical time for Ukraine. Uh, the EU heavyweights have reported to Kiev to meet with President Zelensky. They have to come up with an emergency plan because they are losing ground to the Russians. Next. Number two. Republicans have been making inroads specifically with Latino voters. And this is a warning sign to Democrats that in a Biden district, heavily Latino, Republicans were able to make gains here. A warning sign for Democrats about their relationship with Latino voters given this economy. Right, true. That's David Challen. He's a CNN political director. Can't beat him, undermine him. The Dem pushed to boost the so-called extreme Republican candidates in the primaries so they have a chance of winning in the general. Sinking poll numbers for President Joe Biden at 39 percent as the GOP has made stunning gains, as you just heard, in the Hispanic community. Number one. It's also very coincidental that all these oil company executives became so greedy just when Joe Biden took office. The reason we have $5 a gallon gas is because of Joe Biden's policies. Remember, on the campaign trail, they were going to declare war on oil and gas in America. And that's exactly what they've done. That is Tom Cotton. Pain at the pump and inflation are affecting every aspect of our economy. And the president has opted to blame everyone except himself and his policies. But we won't hesitate to do that. Joining us now is Tim Stewart, president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association. Tim, a letter arrived to the big seven oil and gas companies in this country saying essentially it's your fault. You have high prices. Start refining more and help America out. Do the patriotic thing or he's going to be forced to take action. What's your reaction to the president writing that letter? Well, I think it's a demonstrable ignorance in basic economics and how markets work, Brian, uh, where the stake's not so high. It'd be laughable. But the problem is the administration's created this economy. It's like a cement truck that's lost its brakes, and it's going down the hill towards the old folks' home. And now yesterday they say, well, you guys need to stand in front and stop that cement truck. They created this problem in the first place. Uh, it's it's really, really frustrating, as you might guess. I read that letter. I was fascinated because the president's now threatening to invoke emergency powers yeah. to reverse his own policy decisions. It's unbelievable. It's a colossal failure of leadership. So describe to me what is stopping you from pumping more oil and gas? Well, so it's the, the industry is, you know, two-part. You have the production side, and then you have the refining side. And obviously, you know, we've talked – 
you and I have talked at length about the problems when administration constrains the ability for us to get our leases uh, approved and our permits approved. The, on the refining side, our problem is that we are at a 95% refining utilization rate, and energy is a long game. And when you put government policies that are designed to put refineries out of business, like the Democrats have been pushing for years, and they've been successful in putting refineries out of operation, it's really not that complicated. We're now at a problem where we we have almost absolute complete utilization of our refineries, and we haven't built a new refinery since Jimmy Carter's era, but the problem is is our those that last 5%, that, that capacity has been retooled or either shut down based on, on the industry's prediction of where the administration is going to push us going forward. So describe to me why uh, a lot of experts like you say we're not going to have another refinery built in this country for the foreseeable future. Why isn't it profitable? Well, it, the issue is not that it isn't profitable. The issue is is that there are so many environmental uh, complications and litigation that goes forward. It is classic not-in-my-backyard uh, politics. And so the, the challenge then is, you know, uh, you just can't flip a switch and add a million barrels of capacity. There's not like a million barrels of capacity sitting idle ready to go back in, which the White House is, is acting as if it is. The reality is, as we've seen refineries closed, we've seen units come down, they've been repurposed to become biofuel refineries. And the biggest challenge is, you know, when the U.S. government has, has stated its policy is to, is to reduce demand of the products that refineries are produced, it makes financing of those, those new facilities a real challenge. And uh, so when you combine the, the ability to get financing to, to do the, the upgrades or the, the retooling, combined with the, the not in my backyard, the environmental litigation will happen if we try and build excess, build a new refinery or site a new refinery somewhere. That's what's had us stuck for the last 30 years. How much different was the previous administration, Tim? No, it was night and day, Brian. It was night and day. You know, the biggest difference is about $3 in differential in the price of a gallon of gasoline. Trump administration uh, was very, very good, not not as a favor to the industry, but as a favor to the American consumer. They knew that low energy prices, cheap energy, was the way that we were going to maintain global dominance in, in both the economy and national security. And so they purposely went through their policies, removed the obstacles that, the, that were there, doing their best to, to expedite and streamline, streamline the printing process and put in place a longer-term uh, policy. The administration came in and completely reversed that almost on day one. You know, you and I have, again, talked about this. Since uh, January 20th of 2021, 100-plus actions have been put in place by the administration, 32 since the, the Putin invasion of, of uh, Ukraine, to hobbles our industry. That's basically one every five days that we have to look at and deal with with regards to what is the next in the regulatory overburden that they're trying to place on us or the obstacles they're putting in place. So it's uh, frustrating to be called the enemy when you feel like you've already been targeted and then you find out you're going to be made the bad guy. So the Wall Street Journal probably helped you out by listing the facts today. Since the U.S. has lost about a million barrels a day of refining capacity in the pandemic, some new refineries have opened up in Asia, but the International Energy Agency recently reported the global capacity last year fell by 730,000 barrels. The major culprit, some older refineries have been closed here in the U.S. because companies couldn't justify spending on upgrades as government forces a shift from fossil fuels. So a lot of your refineries are getting incentives to shift towards uh, towards more natural fuels, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Is that corn? What is that, ethanol? 
Yeah, it, it's ethanol primarily, bio biofuels, and and uh, that is when when a refiner says, all right, well, uh, the the policy states that uh, we need to increase the number of refuel uh, renewables, then they're going to take whatever capacity they may think they may identify a bottleneck within their their operation and say, well, let's put a, a, a particular capacity over here. And and try and start doing some additional ethanol refining, and that's probably that's really the biggest challenge I think. At the same time, though, the same message keeps coming from the White House that we're going to go away, and you know that is their intention to make us go away in 20 or 30 years. And so that makes getting financing for a multi-billion-dollar facility almost impossible because nobody wants to invest billions of dollars in something that may end up being forced through regulation to disappear in 15 years. That is one of the huge challenges that our industry is facing right now. Give me an idea, money-wise, what has happened over the last five years. For example, the Blackstones, the you know, the the major firms, the investment firms with, you know, big and small clients are saying the oil and gas companies, even though they're profitable, aren't a good bet because maybe even if they are a good bet, there's too much pressure from politicians in the Democratic Party to stay away from this. Or maybe something yeah, because I, fossil fuels are looked at as evil, maybe from your Generation Z employees as well, right? That, that's a great point. You know, this whole ESG issue is something that has had a dramatic impact on, on uh, our, my industry's ability to get financing, from not just from Wall Street, but from their, their local and their regional banks. You know, it, it's been interesting because investors plowed about $300 billion into ESG funds over the last two or three years, and then something happened in May just a couple of weeks ago that, that reversed that. It wasn't just the market collapse, but a lot of people caught attention when Elon Musk called ESG funds a scam. Remember that? He said, you know, that uh, when Tesla got kicked out of an ESG fund and he called it a scam, people started to wake up and all of a sudden the money, instead of flowing into ESG funds, started to flow Why out. Why would the creator of an electric car be kicked out of an ESG fund? Well, that's exactly right. What is the purpose of EFG if you kick the person who is largely responsible for one of the biggest trans- transportation transitions in our in our in the world's history, who's by saying that he's not environmentally good enough for them? Again, so I think there's this this sense of that uh, a little bit of a uh, a flight to certainty more than anything. Where people are starting to say, you know, ESG funds are great to invest in when the market's up 10 percent, but when you drop 30 percent and the only industry, the only sector that's actually making money is that dirty old fossil fuel sector, all of a sudden people have a tendency to get a dose of reality and there's this flight to certainty. And so I think there's, uh, you know, we're also trying to see reports of greenwashing where investors are waking up and saying, wait a minute, we've been we've been sold a, somewhat of a bill of goods because it's similar to the dot-com era, these right. companies aren't going to be able to produce what they're saying that they're going to be able to produce. Tim Stewart, our guest, he's the president of U.S. Oil and Gas Association. So, Tim, I'll go to one specific part of the letter. In a letter to uh, these big semis, says, uh, uh, Biden wrote that the difference of 15 percent of, of the price of the pump is the result of historically high profit margins for refining oil into gas, diesel, and other refined product, products. Is he mistaken on that, or do you need clarity on that? Well, generally those numbers, about 60% of a barrel of oil actually goes to the production of the crude, and another 15 to 15% goes to the refining capacity, and somewhere between 12 and 18% go to what state, local, and federal taxes you have to pay. So that's the gallon of gasoline, and then there, that leaves about 10% uh, of, for the margin for the retailer. Uh, to be able to, to to dictate and predict his prices, and that's the real challenge: is 
is gasoline prices are largely a predictive behavior. It's, it's the owner either trying to recoup a, lower, a higher price he had to pay a few months ago or trying to predict going forward. And so the administration is saying, you know, look, all you got to do is expand. You know, I'm going to use these, these uh, emergency powers and dump a bunch of money from the strategic petroleum or a bunch of oil from the strategic petroleum reserve, and that'll fix the problem. It didn't. Our prices are higher than when they started. Uh, the administration itself admitted that, that gasoline with 15% ethanol won't solve the problem. And the challenge is we're just in a very, very difficult market circumstance, like I say, that is largely headline inflation. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's two types. There's two types of inflation the administration is trying to deal with. One is core inflation, but then there's what the stuff that you and I deal with every day, which is headline inflation. It's what we actually paid for at the pump, or what we bought the hamburger for today, and that's what creates headlines. And they are they know they're losing. They know that they are in desperate states, and so they're trying to shift the blame anywhere they can. Uh, so Tim, you know, I just have a suggestion for you because I, I've gotten to know your industry, you know, as a New Yorker without an oil and gas background, but open to learning. I did a special on what made America great. One of them is going to roll out. It's 40 minutes. And I was able to go to a, to a refinery. I was able to go to uh, an oil field. I was able to go with George P. Bush out in Texas and talk to a lot of people and understand that most people, when they talk about this, don't know what the hell they're talking about. They act like they just can go in the ground with a shovel and you guys are choosing not to. And there's a concerted effort to destroy you guys, but I'm I'm stunned how often you never speak up for yourselves. And I think it's well, time for you to speak up for yourselves on a on a on a big basis and be bold because Wall Street's targeting you, politicians are targeting you. I think you have to clarify to the American people how much we need oil and gas. Well, you know, and Brian, you got after me a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago when we had a conversation. You told said that exact same thing, and I went back and told my board and our execs we've got to start talking more and more about this. And frankly, we got to talk to the people who are actually who are driving. You know, the the, yes. the, the workers. You know, it doesn't do any good to go on to go on uh, some DC based talk show and, and talk amongst them because they don't understand it. We've got to be able to get this message out to the people who are carrying this heavy burden of high prices, and we're doing we're really doing that, and that's why I'm appreciate you giving me a few minutes just to talk about this today. The administration needs to understand that this industry is not the enemy. Yeah. We are we are patriots. We are millions of workers, are Americans who, who get up and do the right thing every day. And frankly, to blame us for their the, the cement truck that they let out of control is is unconscionable in my opinion. I hear you. Uh, Tim Stewart, thanks so much. Also, they're trying to kill off the jobs. They're trying to stop the next generation of American oil and gas workers from getting in the business as if they're committing a sin and working in a drug cartel, which is just horrific. But that's uh, that's that's indicative of what they're learning in school. And you see middle class families that make up places like Midland, Texas, have been told, well, we'd stop here when no one else. My son or daughter doesn't want to work in this business anymore, even though they make an unbelievable living. So I, I find it frustrating because I have so much respect for what you do. Uh, well, and we we appreciate it. We really do. And just you know, let us get, let us keep keep carrying that message out there. You got it, Tim Stewart. Thank you. Uh, thank uh, I appreciate it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We're going to be back with your calls in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I think people feel 
embarrassed for Joe Biden. You don't have to go back and watch videos of him even 20 years ago and compare how he performed then to how he performs in public now. And there's been a, a rapid deterioration in his mobility, in the way that he talks, in the way that he is consistent to stuff that he says. You know, one minute he's saying one thing, then the White House reigns back, then he has to rein back the rein back, and so it goes on. And we see this kind of thing time and again. So uh, Pierce Morgan weighing in. Uh, I, I have I'm a, become a huge fan of his, by the way. And if, by the way, if uh, if Joe Biden had got on track and was had a ragingly good economy, and we were effective in Afghanistan, and there were getting the weapons quickly to the border, he'd be saying it because you know he's friends with Trump, one apprentice, and he's been critical of Trump. So I, I appreciate uh, Pierce Morgan. Couple of things. I'm stunned and a little angered by the fact that all these people that ignored the fact that Joe Biden was failing precipitously as a candidate that was so floored in all the debates. And the only reason he escaped criticism, people stopped talking to him. They thought he was an also ran. They weren't even engaging with him. Now they're saying, you know, Joe Biden is really stumbling badly. Van Jones came out the other day. And, you know, I'm mostly positive with Van Jones, even though we disagree. I've appreciated uh, other times when he gives credit when credit's due. He said, Joe Biden, when he gives a good speech, he gives a good speech. But other times we wonder if something's wrong. No kidding. Don Lemon, the same thing. Really? Suddenly, Hunter Biden's laptop. I think it's real. Oh, you hold on to something. I think there's revelations of him smoking crack on there with hookers and prostitutes. I don't know. We've been saying that. What time is it? For two and a half years? When we come back, I take a break from this. World Cup soccer, the biggest uh, the biggest sport in the world, the biggest uh, tournament in the world is coming to a North America in 2026. The cities are going to be announced. Alexi Lalas will preview it because it's going to air live on the cities that get it on Fox Sports 1. Alexi Lalas next. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Ball still to the far side. Denatore back into the middle. There's Jordan Morris. There's the tying goal. Right in 90 minutes. Jordan Morris' his first goal since his second torn ACL has tied the game. That was Jordan Morris scoring for the U.S. national team in, uh, on Tuesday's game was soaked. Uh, the CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, Nations League. And we're not updating people on the Nations League, but we are one keeping you up to date on maybe the most talented uh, U.S. national soccer team ever. If you look at international competition, the youth in which they have and the places in which they play, that is not new to Alexi Lawless, maybe the, one of the greatest American soccer players ever. Now uh, one of the stalwarts of the Fox broadcast team, uh, U.S. National, uh, national team player from 91 to 98. Uh, and now he's in town. Because there's some exciting news to announce about 2026, the World Cup, as it comes to North America. Alexi, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Greetings. How are you, my friend? Everything good? Uh, I am in your fair town, and uh, we're we're getting ready to announce this thing that's going to have huge implications, not just for the cities, but obviously for the countries involved, our friends to the North Canada, our friends to the South Mexico, and then obviously the United States and, uh, you know, Back in the 1900s, when I was running around playing, we had the uh, World Cup, the Men's World Cup in 1994, and then the Women's World Cup in 1999. Those were those were seminal moments. But I'm telling you what, 2026, when we host the Men's World Cup again, it is going to be off the charts in terms of success uh, and interest. How's it going to work with Canada and Mexico? Do we still have the bulk of games here? 
Yeah, so we have about 80%. Uh, and, you know, there was a, a strategy behind getting them. But, you know, we are also very connected when it comes to soccer with Mexico and, uh, and Canada. But, yeah, most of the games are going to be here. And, you know, today we announced, well, FIFA announces, and, you know, we're working it. And uh, we're, we are in the dark just like everybody else and waiting with anticipation to see who those cities are going to be in Canada, Mexico, uh, and the U.S. And there's a lot of great cities. And, you know, some of them will get that envelope uh, that says their name and some won't. But it doesn't mean that they're not soccer cities or that the U.S. in particular is not a soccer nation. So 94 was a runaway success. In case people don't remember, it was pre, uh, predated the MLS. But one thing it was able to do, you, you guys got so much revenue in, you're able to launch all these youth leagues and launch a professional outdoor soccer league. I mean, in America, yeah. to see uh, sold-out uh, football stadiums like there were and see this runaway success. I thought it was going to be a back a lot sooner. Can you talk, Alex, even though you were a player then, what the 94 World Cup meant to soccer, for U.S. soccer? I mean, listen, yeah. I mean, so first off, from a, like a personal perspective, the reason why I'm talking to you today, Brian, is because uh, of the 1994 World Cup. It changed my life forever. I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. I'm really excited in 26 because there are players, and you mentioned coming on, about this incredible group that we have right now that's going to represent us in Qatar in November and December in the 22 World Cup. But they're just going to get better and better and better. And some of them are going to be breakout stars in 2026. Having said that, you know, it was a very, very different soccer landscape back in 1994. And what 94 did was it was an opportunity. I think we, to your point, really harnessed it well uh, to, to expose people to what the game can be. And, you know, you know the pageantry and yeah. the singing and the colors and the um, – you know, the pride. And, you know, a lot of people are going to come to the U.S. Uh, for, for the World Cup, but they're also going to come to U.S. to come to the U.S. And it's a great opportunity for these cities and obviously for these countries uh, as an advertisement to the world and to those people that are coming into some of those communities that wouldn't be there otherwise if it weren't for the World Cup. So, uh, and uh, Alexi, after the, I guess, was it the 94, was it the 94 World Cup when you went to Italy to play for a while? So yep. opened up a lot of doors, opened up a lot of doors and a, and a lot of opportunities. And then, you know, a lot of us came back and, you know, you mentioned Major League Soccer that was established. Uh, you know, the Women's World Cup in 1999 was a huge seminal point, uh, seminal point, too. I mean, look, I, I walk down the street here in, in New York and there's still people that come up and talk to me about the 94 World Cup. <laughs> That's how important it was. And, and it changed the way that they looked at soccer. And we got the opportunity again to do that in 2026 to expose a whole lot of people to the game that we love and grow the game. And I think one thing to help, I know it's going to be a runaway success. I mean, some of the cities uh, that are up for it, Atlanta, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, New York, of course, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, well, huge major cities that are going to sell out. That's not even going to be a question. The biggest, smallest country, they're going to sell out. Now the American people are educated to the game, and you're seeing how much these uh, Major League Soccer franchises are worth. They give people an understanding. They launched Major League Soccer, Tab Ramos, the first pick overall, and it failed. <laughs> You guys had to wait another year because you weren't ready to launch. And then when you guys finally yeah. did launch, you got off to a start. And then finally, things were getting bad financially. And in come the Hunts, uh, football fame, uh, the, the Crafts, the Anschutz, who helped prop up the other franchises or else the whole thing would have fallen apart. It's hard. You know, you see how well the MLS is doing now. You forget how close it came to not working. What about for you as a player, as a GM and a broadcaster? Mm -hmm. Were you worried about the MLS? 
Yeah, because our our past from a soccer perspective is littered with defunct leagues and, and teams going bust and all that kind of stuff. So that was always a fear. And look, you were there at the beginning yep. uh, working in, uh, with, in MLS and you saw what it was and, and what it wasn't at the time. And it's changed so much to your point. The infrastructure, all of these soccer specific stadiums that both in terms of, you know, almost to 30 teams at this point right now. There was a time when we were down to 12 teams that contracted in the early aughts. So, you know, MLS is, is a real success story, but it's also a labor of love for, uh, for a lot of us out there. And it's only a small part of what soccer is in the United States. But, you know, to your point, we used 1994 ultimately to establish Major League Soccer. Who knows what we can use 2026-wise to further the game on and off the field even after. Because the circus comes to town then it leaves. But if you harness it and you use yeah. that power, and we have this ramp to 2026 uh, and it's not just the cities that are going to be named today. It's, it's as a country, and I guess as countries with Mexico and Canada, if you use it properly, it can really pay dividends down the line. Are you glad you made the move? Uh, I know this is an e- the e- one of the easier questions, but you had a big decision to make. You're going to leave ESPN, where you're one of the faces of ESPN soccer, and you come to Fox Sports, and Fox Sports was new to soccer. What went into that decision, and what's it been like? It's been awesome, man. I mean, you know, the people at Fox, obviously it's very different. And look, I, I owe a lot to ESPN and the time that I spent there. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very different type of culture and environment. And, you know, you were talking about what, what it is as a soccer player. Well, it's just grown leaps and bounds. Yeah. Obviously, I came at the time that the rights for the World Cup um, were gotten, were, uh, the Fox gotten. And so I followed the World Cup because that is, you know, the pinnacle. And especially when it yeah. comes to broadcasting. And I wanted to be involved in that. But there's so much more now when it comes to Fox in terms of what they are doing with soccer, obviously major league soccer, um, you know, the, the euros and you were talking nations league and the men's and the women's and all that kind of stuff. And I've been able to work men's and women's world world cups in a real environment. That's nurturing. You know, I love our soccer friends and the synergy and all the connections that we have and whether it's, you know, the radio or, you know, the Fox news uh, folks or all that kind of stuff. There's just real opportunity um, and a real collective understanding of, of growing this sport along with the other, the other sports and all the other stuff that we do. What time's the announcement? So the announcement's going to be 5 o'clock Eastern time today. Yep. We're going to find out what cities and obviously what country's going to get what. We don't know the games of the groups, but we know what city's going to be hosting for it. All the biddings are up, so that's going to be exciting. That's going to be on Fox Sports 1, right? Yep, Fox Sports 1, 5 o'clock, myself and Rob Stone and Jenny Taft and Stu Holden and a whole bunch of FIFA folks there and uh, Andreas Cantor from... Uh, you know, a a Spanish language perspective and, you know, a lot of different people that have been around for a long time. So it's an exciting day and it's only going to get more and more exciting as we get closer to 26. Just real quick uh, on 2022 in November, it's postponed because uh, they forgot how hot it gets in the desert, I guess, when they (laughs) gave it to them. So they had to postpone it till uh, to November when Qatar got it. And there's all types of problems with how Qatar got it, but they got it. Uh, So the group B is Iran, England and Wales. How do how does the U.S. stack up? Yeah, I mean, look, first off, we're back at the World Cup from a men's perspective. And for people that don't know, back in 2018 in Russia, we were not there. It was the biggest failure, I think, in in U.S. soccer history. But we're back. And not only are we back, but we're back with a group of really, really good, young, talented players. It's going to be the youngest team at the World Cup. And that has its positives and negatives. But um, I think that will give you reason to believe. Absolutely, they should get out of this group, as you mentioned, with England and Wales and Iran. Um, I think that they get out of the group. I think that they have a a swagger, and I think they are worth your time. And, you know, to your point about the November-December uh, World Cup, yes, it's going to be very unique and different going to Qatar and having this uh, this World Cup in November and December, and players are going to have to adjust. 
Um, but it's also going to give us the ability from a broadcast perspective to be in the thick of things when it comes to NFL and the cross promotion. And there, look, we're playing England on Black Friday. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it has the potential to be, you know, the highest viewed uh, U.S. game in history uh, or soccer game, for that matter, when it comes to uh, U.S. broadcasting. And so you'll be able to see that on Fox and uh, on FS1 and all the different things that are going on. So a lot of soccer this year and in the coming years. So Alexi Laos, our guest. Alexi, a couple more minutes. Uh, can you give us an idea of how unique it is? How many players do we have playing overseas at the elite level? Like you got Christian Pulsic, but he's just one. Who else do the the U.S. have over there? And tell everybody how unprecedented this is. Yeah, I mean, so we have had players play over in in Europe, and you know that's kind of you know the pinnacle for a lot of players, and it's and it's you know and it's something that players dream of. But never have we had this amount of players, and and also where they are playing. And so you mentioned Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. We have players like Weston McKinney at U, at, at Juventus. We got uh, a goalkeeper in Matt Turner who is about to start over at. Uh, Arsenal. We got our other goalkeeper in Zach Steffen, who's ma- at uh, Man City. There's guys playing uh, in uh, in England. There's guys playing in Germany. Um, you know, there's there's just a there's just a lot of talent. Tyler Adams in the midfield. Yunus Musa, who uh, who's a 19 year old, who's just come on leaps and bounds, playing over in uh, a league over in Spain. So I mean, it's there is a it's not just it's not just the talent. It's the depth of talent. We're actually now when Greg Berhalter, the coach of this team, puts out his starting 11 there's actually debate as to you know why isn't this person starting yep. why isn't this person starting that's a that's a good problem to have these are champagne problems that we haven't had in the past yeah it would be great i mean to get out of the group and then advance in the playoffs and then maybe get to the final four you have never seen anything like it uh they, I, mean, I watch america become soccer fans during the world cup uh and you can't even get it if there's a sports bar you're watching through the windows on the street because you can't get anywhere in New York City. You wouldn't know that because you're doing the broadcast or you're playing in the game. Alexi, uh, good luck on the announcement today. 5 o'clock, Fox Sports 1. Find out in 2026 what American cities are going to be hosts and, uh, and what countries uh, these cities are going to be in. There's a lot, to, a lot to look at, a lot to look forward to. Alexi, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Good talking. Same here. And I hope to see you in the halls. Uh, Alexi Lalas in the building somewhere, but he doesn't have to be in. I think rehearsal was last night, and they'll be in today. Uh, Rob Stone's the lead play-by-play guy, and Alexi Lalas. And Stuart Holden's also been on the show before. On our, He's also a great player in his day. So listen, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, for a guy that played soccer in the 70s, uh, the Cosmos were it. And to see it so big now is pretty amazing. And, of course, Fox Sports is on the right side of these things. I'm going to be out num- on Outnumbered in about 15 minutes. I'm going to put on some makeup, do my hair, and even look sexier if that is possible. And don't forget to watch in, in 15 minutes. And, of course, One Nation, Saturday at 8 o'clock. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. I'm going to be outnumbered in a few minutes. Uh, you'll watch me on the Fox News Channel. And then, of course, we got uh, One Nation, which will be Saturday at 8 o'clock. So thank you, everyone, for uh, supporting the show. And if you do go out, if it is a date night for you, uh, just set the DVR. You could do it right now. Set the DVR. You'll just record it every day. And to be honest, I have to do that a lot of times when I don't do it live. Let's get to the more to know. More to know. 
The WWE board is investigating. Get this. There's a book coming out on Vince McMahon. So they're looking to the background of the CEO. They say there's a $3 million hush money settlement that Vince McMahon did not want everyone to know about. He paid a woman over an alleged affair. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, that's supposed to appear in a book. The agreement, which was struck in January, is intended to prevent the woman uh, from talking to anybody. She evidently was a paralegal. Uh, McMahon is 76 years old, married to Linda McMahon. The WWE spokesman told the newspaper that the company is cooperating with the board's investigation. There's some other stuff going on. There's agreements of of non-disclosure with WWE talent executive John Laurentitis, who wrestles under the name Johnny Ace. So uh, he evidently um, got himself in some trouble, and the sign a non-disclosure with this woman. You know these people, Pete? Well, yeah, I mean, Vince McMahon. Everybody here's the, knows, Here's yeah. the ironic thing. Vince McMahon's dream was always to make the WWE a publicly traded company. Now that being public, it could cost him the WWE because he now has to answer to shareholders in a board where if it was still a privately owned company, this wouldn't be an issue. Next, Yellowstone faces indefinite closure over a once-in-a-thousand-year flooding. It forced the state of emergency and destroyed roads, bridges, and homes, and even the course of two rivers. More than 10,000 visitors evacuated. Remarkably, no one was injured. Great news. Yellowstone will celebrate its 150th anniversary this year. It could remain closed for as long as a week. Officials warned on Tuesday that local drinking water has become unsafe. I went there about five years ago. It is truly extraordinary. Cabins were washed away, small towns were swamped, and knocked out power. Of course, CNN says it's climate change. Well, now you said you were there five years ago. Was, did you do this? Have you also gone there for what made America great? No. And guess who's? We're doing something. I know uh, Fox Nation doing something with Kevin Costner because of his series, mm-hmm. and they're going out to Yellowstone. I was hoping they'd call my name. But instead, I do Who is Johnny Depp in a Studio E, I think. <laughs> so I lost that coin flip. Next, no child should ever have to suffer. We all agree with that. But Dolly Parton put uh, words to action to those words. She has pledged $1 million to pediatric infections, disease research. Uh, Parton's first time donated. It's, it is not Parton's first time donating to the medical center. In 2020, she gifted $1 million to research towards a Chinese coronavirus cure. So she's pretty cool. I think it kind of worked. Uh, her philanthropy has been well documented. Last year, uh, she uh, raised seven hundred thousand dollars to help food victims in Central Tennessee. That, according to Breitbart, so she's pretty cool. And plus, she's got Dollywood. Notice the number one amusement park voted the number one amusement park in the world. What I Country. like. One of the many things I like about her is the fact that she's nonpartisan. She doesn't make a- any political right. statement. She stays out of it because Although, she knows she has fans on both sides. Yeah, but here's the thing. She, I love the fact that she was elected into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and she said, no, I don't do rock and roll. I think she finally relented. I mean, the whole the, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, though, if you think about it, they should no, be separate Hall of Fame. Just call it the Music Hall of Fame, yeah, and you would have no controversy. But the Music Hall of Fame is located in Cleveland, right? Uh, yeah, that that's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Next, Lego is going to invest $1 billion in Virginia. Good job, Governor Yunkin, a business guy by trade. $1.7 million square foot Virginia, uh, Virginia facility. Featuring a carbon-neutral design, will mold, process, and pack Lego products and ensure they'll meet the company's safety standards. Uh, isn't that Swedish? Isn't this a Swedish company? That I'm not sure, but I do know that you always want to avoid stepping on a Lego. Just Everybody does, yeah. With bare feet. I mean, if, if Lego is truly believed in this product, they would make the whole thing in Lego. Wow, a sustainable building, new carbon-neutral building made out of Lego. Why not? What's next? Nerf. We'll get a Nerf it building is, made out of Nerf. Right. It is amazing that Lego is the like, – if you tell me what game is going to last when I first came upon it in the 70s, I would not think it would be Lego. To me, Lego is like pretty deliberate. I mean, you snap it together, 
some different but you shapes. know what they've they've evolved with the times i mean they've they've got a they can make genre toys i mean i know you're not yeah. a star wars guy but they got star wars stuff they've got all kinds of stuff that cater to boys and girls i just said if you make a lego you, know, you can make an igloo to me that was it and then i'm like does anyone want to use my lego and that was, was it done. you were done you didn't have action figures you didn't have cops and robbers you no, had no, none of that not really I had Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys, big well, those competition. Are, those are still, uh, they go side by side with Legos. And I've always loved Lincoln. There you see, there you go. Next, Colts' Corey Willis will retire. He's 26 years old, but not because of worried about injury or anything like that. He's going to pursue the holy call that God has for my life. Quote, uh, with much prayer and deliberation, if I've elected to officially retire from the NFL, uh, Colts' Frank Reich wished him well. But the thing is, I think you do both. God would want you to finish out your career. I yeah. mean, God will be there for you when you're done at 32. A lot of players do And you'll do have, both. yeah, have another $20 million in the bank. A lot of players do both. What are you going to do with all the extra eye black? Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.